0: Yes, welcome in everyone. Second part of the week. Let's talk all things AFC South. This is the Full 10 Yards NFL Podcast.
1: Hello everyone. Cecil Martin here.
0: Hey, this is Hunter Henry. What's up, man? This is Max Crosby, part of Raider Nation.
1: Hey, this is Ross Tucker, former NFL offensive lineman. Hey, it's Tyler Lockett of the Seattle Seahawks. Hey, this is Jerry Judy, wide right receiver for the Denver Broncos. And you're listening to the 14 Yard NFL Podcast.
0: Yeah, good to be back. I've skipped a division. I've had a little break. Thank you ever so much, Josh, for filling in for me, buddy. Let's welcome you into this little division. How are you this evening, buddy?
2: Yeah, not bad. Just here and uh, going through the guide where I wrote half of uh, this division for. So uh, everything should still feel quite fresh in the memory. Um, Yeah, not much to complain about. Sun shining. Checks on the weather forecast for a couple of days ahead. Yep, still shining. All good and uh yeah just happy to talk to my afc football
0: Jolly good, mate. Jolly good. Like I say, thanks for filling in. I'll hopefully be seeing some sunny weather. So just on a personal note, if you're going on holiday, you have my sympathies. I've spent the evening trying to do locator forms, book COVID tests and all sorts of fun. So the boys did a stellar job earlier in the week. Enjoy listening back to it. But Steve, you left us on a cliffhanger, mate, with that uh, stat at the end of the pod. So I welcome you into this one and give you the opportunity to uh, divulge the rest of the information.
1: Yeah, so we asked. I asked myself a rhetorical question at the end of last week uh, because Tampa Bay won the Super Bowl last year, as we all know, uh, as a wild card team. And I said to Josh, I asked him, wh- "Which was the last team to win a Super Bowl from the wild card spot?" Do you know, Sean? Can I have a guess?
0: Is it the Green Bay Packers? It
1: oh, he's indeed. got it in one. Oh, Pete, where oh, were you? Where I've were you I've, when
0: I've, we needed you? I've had days to. Days to research it, brothers. Days to research it. So it
1: was the 2010 Packers who went 10 and six and won the Super Bowl, won the NFC Championship at the divisional rival Bears, and then yeah, beat the Steelers in the Super Bowl. And I said, I said, I thought it was the 2011 Giants. It was the 2007 Giants that won it as oh. a wild card, and that's when they beat the so I was 1714 it was Giants. Yeah, was that the helmet catch? Was that the 1714? Yeah. Was that, that that one? Yeah. So that was the was 2007 it that one or was that Giants. 11? I can't remember which one it was. It was one of the other, but yeah. So the the. Uh, it must have been much more common back then because the Packers did it in 10, the Giants did it in 07, the Steelers did it in 05, and the Ravens did it in 2000. So, whereas for the last decade, we haven't had a single team do it. So, there you go. There you go. Just filling in on my, uh, on my fact that I asked myself last week.
0: Good work, pal. Top Good man. work you indeed. Staff, yeah. <laughs> Steve the stat man. yeah it's um, it's certainly seemingly more important now to get that home field advantage and you know, probably even more so with the return of spectators this season uh, so let's get into it fellas um, we'll talk AFC South we'll continue the format that we have been doing go through them all chronologically so just a reminder in terms of last year's finishing positions two teams really dominated this one didn't they Tennessee 11 and 5 you've got the divisional win on uh, the various different tiebreakers, the Colts had the same eleven and five record and entered the playoffs as a wild card team. Houston finished at four and twelve, and Jacksonville finished at one and fifteen uh, with fifteen consecutive losses to end the season so not uh, not good in Jacksonville, but obviously plenty of change throughout the division in various different um positions we 'll get to all of that, but the one team that 's Probably the one that's probably most consistent, certainly not major changes or sweeping changes. There has been a few additions, though, one notable one. Let's get to the Tennessee Titans, Josh. In 11-5 and last year, looking to go and retain the divisional crown. They've been pretty impressive since Mike Vrabel took over um, and certainly, like I say, a bit of a marquee addition, which I'm sure you're going to touch on as you give us the rundown on the off-season from a Tennessee perspective.
2: Yeah, it's... uh... Tennessee are always one of the, well, and nowadays are one of these teams that you expect them to go off. You expect them to have a really good run. You'd think that that they're just a couple of pieces away from, or a tactical switch or something, from challenging the top two in the AFC and the Chiefs and the Bills. You know, they are definitely in that Super Bowl bubble where it's, you know, the window is there and they're in it and they need to start going through it. Uh, and they've definitely gone out all. They've gone all out for it now. You know, Julio Jones, which is the aforementioned star of which you were uh, mentioned. We uh, talked a bit about uh, Jones's absence from the Falcons in the last pod, and you know, their loss is definitely going to be Tennessee's game. You know, Ryan Tannehill has proven himself to be more than an able thrower um, the, of the football. He definitely loves the offense of which the Titans have got over there. And, you know, having A.J. Brown on the one side and Hudo Jones on the other, you know, if you're a secondary playing now, why, where on earth do you go to? Oh, and by the way, you've got to cover Derrick Henry. Yeah, thanks for that. We wanted to have a chance. No chance on that one. Um It's the other side of the ball, though, that I think that there's going to be quite a few issues for the Titans this year. So just to give you a rundown, um, the offense, like I said, is definitely one of the elite ones. You know, they scored about 30 points a game. That's fourth overall in the NFL last year. They got 168 running yards per game. That's second overall. Um, You look at the... um, Oh, sorry, they got... uh, No, sorry, I was right. Ignore that. I'm just trying to look at uh, what we've got here. Passing yards per game. Sorry, 228 yards per game for that. So they were on the lower end of that. So you can imagine that bumping up. But it's definitely the defense where it starts to become quite troublesome. 27 points a game they gave up. You know, that for an an elite team or at least a world-class team, someone that's looking to challenge... You are for echelons. You can't be shipping 27 points a game. So that is one place where they're really going to have to step up. And they've lost both Adoree Jackson and Malcolm Butler this year in their secondary. And that's going to hurt. And for some reason, Siri just went off there. So uh, that was quite interesting. Um, But, uh, yeah, I I think even Siri is gutted that uh, Adoree Jackson and Malcolm Butler's got because it's definitely going to hurt. Um but Dupree does come in but I feel like he's much more of a flash addition I don't think he helps replace them, I don't think they've done enough to replace them and while Julio Jones and Derek Henry and AJ Brown and Ryan Tannehill and everything looks great on the offense, you're not really going to improve much on 30 points a game really so you need to start looking at how you improve on 27 points a game on the, on the defense. And I don't see it. And their schedule's tough as well. Winning the AFC South doesn't help them. They would have been much better off having Indy win the, uh, the wildcard tie break and, uh, going in as the, uh, as the second place and, you know, having a bit of a rest, but, uh, you know, that's the, that's the, uh, path they've chosen. And, uh, all the best to them, but it's going to be difficult this year.
1: The the Titans are an interesting one. Um, I saw much of their success runs through Henry, obviously, you know, he's, a, he's an absolute monster. He had a 2000 yard rushing season, which is still wild to say uh, yeah. last year, um, uh, averaged 126.7 yards a game. Um, but it seems to me last season, if you could, if you could stop Henry, you had a chance at winning. So like, if you look at some of the losses they had last season, they lost to Pittsburgh in week seven, where Henry only got 75 rushing yards. Um, they lost to Cleveland in week 13, when Derek Henry only had 60 rushing yards. Um, and again, in in the postseason, that you know, that game against Baltimore, the Baltimore found a way to stop Henry. He only had 40 rushing yards and they were dumped out of the playoffs straight away. So, so much of their, of their, Success runs through him. Um, and, uh, you know, you called me the stat man. Here I am. Are you ready for this? Derek That's Henry it. last season uh, rushed for 17 touchdowns. Right, that is more touchdowns than Carson Wentz, Teddy Bridgewater, Daniel Jones, Sam Darnold, Cam Newton, uh, and uh, Jimmy G. Although he was out for quite a while through. That is Impressive. more touchdowns than any one of those quarterbacks threw last season, so he is obviously so vital to their success, um, and and they've got to keep him upright. You know, you look at some of these rushers that take on so much of the workload. You know, Ezekiel Elliott, you know, Saquon Barkley, you know, guys like that. All it takes is an injury to him, and where do, where do Tennessee turn to if if Henry goes down? He's so crucial to their player. Um, and you mentioned the defense as well. Like losing both cornerbacks is is tough. Um, a lot's going to be resting on how Caleb Farley plays. Interesting pick up in the first round. He had to see that injury, back injury, and if he can get back to fitness, he looked like a real talent in college. So if he can come in, but yeah, I, I think their their defense looks perhaps weaker than it did last year. Um, uh, and and if they can if if they ship off more points, then I could you know I could certainly see the top two flipping round in terms of. Uh, the AFC South, but like you say, it's it, it's a it's a difficult division. It really is.
0: Yeah, I think that the concern you'd have with Derek Henry is probably just from a workload perspective, you just feel at some point the tread on those tyres is going to get a little bit too worn. He doesn't ever seem to have a running mate in tow, does he? It's basically... 25, 30 carries for Derrick Henry, you know, I couldn't even name another running back on the depth chart without having to go and search for it. You know, there's not an obvious guy that comes in as the change of pace. Um, I think a lot of the attention that Henry does obviously get, though, has enabled Ryan Tannehill to develop into a, you know, a very, very good NFL quarterback, Um, you know, selected back, you know, in the first round, eighth overall by the Dolphins, never really worked out there. Another victim, I believe, of Adam Gase and Adam Gase's coaching. But I think he's certainly proved since his transition down to Tennessee that he's more than capable. Um, you know, I think he's been a top 10 rated quarterback. Um, there's plenty of stats out there that will tell you that You know, there's only really Patrick Mahomes from a rating perspective that has been comparable with Tannehill since he's become the full-time starter in Tennessee. Um, I've actually gone... well and truly onto the A.J. Brown bandwagon um, in terms of my prediction that he will lead the league in receiving this year, get the predictions from all of our team in the full 10 yards guide. Um, But yeah, that's a bit of a a left field one possibly for me. But I do think the attention that Julio Jones will bring will certainly be a lot more than what Corey Davies used to attract. Um, I don't think there's any doubt in that. So A.J. Brown should see plenty of opportunities. So I agree basically almost word for word with everything that Josh said at the start there um, I think it's a team that offensively seems to be set to improve if anything like so the addition of Jones Taylor LeJuan should be back at tackle as well big piece for them that missed a lot of games last time out um, You know, so that offensive line will be healthy the question marks really do all surround the defensive side of the ball, which is a little strange, really, considering it's Mike Vrabel that's the coach, and you know that's essentially what his background was. Obviously, you know many years in a, in a Bill Belichick system. Um, but yeah, it, it would certainly be the defensive side of the ball. I would s- s- suggest that he's going to be the Achilles' heel for the Titans. So I think you summed it up quite nicely,
2: Josh. Thank you very much. And as we've got to that, let's have your players for uh, one to watch and. Uh one on the hot seat.
0: Yeah, so I think like I've mentioned him a few times, the guy Jay Brown is the one to watch. Like I say, so I'm probably very much number one passenger on that hype train. I do think he will have a an exceptionally good season. Um two seasons in the league, both over a thousand yards receiving. Only played or or certainly only started 12 games last year, curtailed a few times by injury, which will be something to keep an eye on. But his receptions went up from 52 to 70 receptions, um, 11 touchdowns, which was up from eight on his rookie season. And he really has developed into, like I say, a, a real good, exciting weapon on the outside. There's that memorable picture of him and DK Metcalf at draft time. And everybody can remember the DK Metcalf half of the picture. But uh, I don't think I'd want to be meeting AJ Brown in a dark alley either. I think he could probably look after himself as well. I think that's fair to say. So, uh, you know, an absolute physical beast on the outside. I'm really looking forward to seeing him. In his third season, you know, he'll be thinking about a big money contract, you know, potentially at the end of this season, if he can put those kind of numbers up. Um, And I really do think he's primed to do it. Like I say, Tannehill's, you know, been more than, more than, uh, you know, adequate, you know, I almost feel that we still disrespect Ryan Tannehill a little bit, to be honest. We say he's he's better than average, he's he's a really good quarterback. He's literally right up there, if you look at anything statistically. I think it's just the fact that his name is Ryan Tannehill and we're used to that version that was in Miami, that that's probably the thing that holds people back. But, you know, really, we should probably just look at the last 25 weeks of tape that he's put on, to be fair, because he has been absolutely phenomenal. Um, In terms of on the hot seat, we've mentioned the defensive side of the ball and I'm going to steal your thunder again, mate. You mentioned him in your little preview. I'm I'm going Bud Dupree, which feels a little bit harsh to put him on the hot seat considering he's never played a snap for the team. Um, You know, I think that's... Probably a little bit harsh, but I do think he's been brought in essentially to generate the pass rush. They obviously experimented with Jadavian Clowney last year, and for whatever reason, it didn't work. He seems to have had a new lease of life, albeit through training camp. So we'll wait and see what happens when he actually gets on the field. But certainly positive signs coming out of Cleveland. Um, but I think Bud Dupree, do I really believe that he's the pass rusher that they're looking for? Oh, I just can't see it. I really cannot see it, unfortunately. I think he's been a major beneficiary of playing in a really, really talented Steelers front seven unit. Um, I think TJ Watt is twice the player of what Bud Dupree is. Um, And I think he, you know, essentially saw most of the double teams on his side, um, which has, you know, created opportunities for Dupree. Um, you know, his first few years in the league, you know, four sacks, four and a half sacks, six sacks, five and a half. And then it's only in the last couple of years that he's got up to 11 and a half and eight respectively. Um, you know, so potentially he could be a little bit of a late bloomer. And, you know, hopefully from a Tennessee perspective, he certainly does tick all the boxes that they want him to tick. But I think, you know, for that kind of money, you know, what was it? eighty-two and a half million dollars. Um, a five-year contract. I mean, that's an awful lot of money. Also, bearing in mind that he's coming back from a pretty serious injury um, with a torn ACL. That didn't happen until week 12 as well. So, we, you know, a lot of players are coming back, but a lot of players were picking these injuries up in week one, week two, early on in the season and have had, you know, a sort of 10-week or so head start on Bud Dupree in terms of their rehab. So it'll be interesting to see if he's full go to start the season. Um, so, yeah, probably harsh to put him on the hot seat straight away, but I think if you've been paid that kind of money, you you know, you better be performing from day one.
2: Yeah, I um I just think as well that he's going to end up being the full guy for you know a bit of almost bad roster planning. Like like I said in the uh in the intro to this, I I think that the secondary is much more pertinent to to boost in order to, you know, try and get try and get his point total down. I I think that it's if you can buy if you can buy your quarterback three, four seconds, then they're going to be able to beat them on the outside almost every time. And it is something of which play to Titans last year, even with Adoree Jackson and Malcolm Butler, let alone without them. So I think that he's going to end up being the fall guy for having this massive contract, being seen as the guy to come in and, you know, basically hold up the defense. But there are other issues that they've got that they've just not addressed
0: Steve any uh any final comments on the Tennessee Titans
1: no I think you guys have, have summed it up pretty well I think um you know that there's going to be a lot of questions about their defense this season as you, you know, as you've both just alluded to um I I I, I absolutely agree with your um Summary of Ryan Tannehill. I think we s- so much now we spend thinking about Tannehill as the Dolphins quarterback than we do the The Tennessee quarterback Um, and actually we probably need to give him his due because last year alone he showed how much better he is and how much he's come along and he's the he is the product and I'm going to get onto this in a second with the next team we're going to discuss but he is the absolute product of a guy who just needed a change in change in scenery you know sometimes people and players just need a change in scenery and it's amazing what they can go on to do just different coaches different setup different scheme you know they look like you look like an absolute different player so yeah i think i think um i i'm not sure they get much further than they did last year i, I just don't know about that defence like you said um but you know that they'll definitely still be in the in the playoff picture i think for sure
0: yeah, certainly a team to look out for when the post-season does roll around. Um, I think we're all pretty unanimous there in our assessment. Tell us if we're wrong, though, Titans fans. But, you know, we certainly think the Achilles heel will be the defence. Um, you know, just looking back at the amount of yardage they gave up last year, and you know, I'm, there's not one game where they gave up less than 300 yards to anybody, um, which for a playoff team, team is, is pretty pretty shocking so yeah we will see if they've made the necessary adjustments we'll see if Bud Dupree can provide some of the answers to the questions that we have certainly got around them so I think we're going to put on the uh, Carson Wentz alert alarm um, because we are going to go to Indy so Steve I'm sure you're dying to talk a bit more Carson Wentz as an Eagles fan so uh, the 11 and 5 Colts second last year will Carson Wentz be the difference maker for them this time
1: around such an interesting, wasn't it? Because they've gone from QB to QB since um, uh, since Manning retired. And, you know, they've certainly not had bad quarterbacks. You know, Andrew Luck was the, the face of the franchise and just couldn't stay healthy. But when he was, he was an exceptional player. Um, you know, Philip Rivers was not, you know, what, say what you will about him. He was still a good quarterback and he still led them to the, to the postseason, you know, last year. So Wentz comes in with a lot on his shoulders and he comes in with off the back of one of the worst seasons I've seen from a from a starting quarterback. And obviously I might be biased because I actually watched him every game. But in the 12 games that he started, he threw 15, uh, sorry 16 touchdowns and 15 interceptions. Um, and I cannot tell you just how poor he looked. He, he, his confidence was shot. He was holding onto the ball far too long. He wasn't making plays like he usually did. His comp- completion percentage, which had, uh, throughout his career in Philadelphia had been anywhere between 60 and 69% was down at 57.4. Um, he looked a shell of himself and it got to the point where I just didn't know what the answer was anymore. Um, I didn't know how to, how do you fix Carson Wentz? And, and the answer is obviously to take him out of the building and get him out of the, out of, out of Philadelphia. So he's in, he's in the Indianapolis uh uh, depth chart now he's he's obviously going to be the starter and, and interestingly today as well he's he's been back in training today uh, he's been running around the field i've seen a video of him Uh, sort of moving and not he's not just sort of you know stood by the sidelines watching he's actually moving and 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 moving on his on that foot so only two weeks out from foot surgery that's pretty good news from the uh from the Colts uh perspective and especially considering we were all talking about them potentially you know having to start someone else for the first four weeks and having to trade for Nick Fold and all that sort of stuff that's really good news for them um and with Indianapolis, it's difficult to, to sort of focus on too much more because they've got such a complete roster. You know, their roster looks pretty good outside of the obvious choices of of Kansas City and and uh, Buffalo. You could look to Indianapolis and say, Do you know what? Actually, I think this roster is probably one of the most complete in the AFC. You know, they've got some really talented players around there, and and it's just they're just trying to find that final piece of the puzzle. And if and if Frank Reich can turn Carson Wentz around again and if, if Carson Wentz scores eleven and five like they went last season or not eleven and six or, or twelve and five whatever um like they went last season, I'll be I'll be stunned. I'll be absolutely stunned. Because for a guy to go from what was a, an immense high, you know, in his twenty seventeen season and, and you know even in eighteen nineteen he certainly showed that he was still quality quarterback to then such a such a low in twenty twenty to then go back up again, I'll be I'll be stunned.
2: Yeah, I would also just put a little red flag on Wentz being back this early. You know, I saw that they were bringing him out for for training today, and I thought, it's only two weeks ago, right? It's like two, maybe three weeks ago since he had foot surgery. You know, the minimum requirement for this is apparently five, and I'm just wondering if the Colts are falling into their trap of, you know, not letting injuries fully heal and maybe underplaying as to how big injuries are because we we identified a couple of weeks back um you know that that is their achilles heel in recent years as well so i'm just going to table that for if he does start week one then Week ten, week eleven, we could well see some more issues, and also Quintin Nelson as well. I believe returned to training today as well. I think yeah, that they've yeah. both gone on the same timetable. Yeah. Um, it's just risky. It's just really risky. I, I get why though, and we spoke about why. You know, the the start of their season is terrible from a schedule perspective. If they can. If they can get some wins early on the board against those tough teams, then they should be a shoe in for a wild card spot. So I get it. It's just, it's it, long term, it just seems risky to me.
0: Yeah. Naturally, a lot of focus on the quarterback. And you've mentioned there that, you know, it's a talented roster. The thing that stands out to me, and I certainly don't mean this disrespectfully, is I look down the roster and that doesn't shout superstars. Yeah, there's lots and lots of very good players, and that's absolutely fine. That's the way you build a team. You build it with depth. Um, Like you said, the, the star players, if you like, probably are the likes of Quinton Nelson, who undoubtedly is probably the best guard in the NFL, but obviously a guard isn't making... Great deals of headlines, um, although obviously an extremely important position. Couple of guys, young guys, from an offensive point of view. Let's keep on the offensive side of the ball that they're going to want more production out of, um, and I think they're probably expecting it certainly from Jonathan Taylor. Um, at the back end of last season, um, he, you know, had a, a relatively sort of slow uh, beginning to the campaign. Was used more and more towards the back end. A lot of people very high on their expectations for Jonathan Taylor. And Michael Pittman Jr. from the receiving perspective, um, second-round pick, again, you know, you look at his numbers in terms of what he did on the year, um, you know, 40 receptions, 503 yards, it, you know, it certainly wasn't um, a stellar campaign by any stretch of the imagination. But they've got a lot of guys that are in and around that sort of level um, without the real sort of, like I say, top-end superstar to potentially sort of be the real focal point. But... Jonathan Taylor in in particular, Steve um, Marlon Mack injured first game of last season. Marlon Mack returns. Do we think it's going to be more of a two headed monster at the running back position, or do you think that you know Jonathan Taylor is going to you know absolutely stamp his authority on this, and it's going to clearly be his uh, his backfield?
1: I think I think it'd be silly not to at least try it. I think there's so many teams in the NFL that have shown that if you could you can have a, a running back by committee as it, as some teams do nowadays that it can show success and and you know Taylor's he had a great season last year and I'm not saying that he's not a, you know a great player. I think he's got a great future ahead of him, but he's still going to be going into his second season. So, you know, he's not like a you know like a, a Derrick Henry style runner that everyone when you see him on the field you're absolutely terrified of him. And I think just having that that change up and and putting someone else out there will just keep teams uh, guessing like you said like they uh, whilst the Colts roster is is talented like you say they don't have that true sort of sort of uh wide receiver that can elevate them to the next level there's no sort of star guy there and so, if they can keep defenses guessing, and right can run a run offensive schemes where they're not just reliant on one or two people, you know, some teams make it in the NFL by being reliant on one or two guys, which is great if it works. That's fantastic. You know, we just talked about the Titans and how reliant they are on Derek Henry. If it works, fantastic. But other teams make it by spreading the play around and having you know several guys. And Carson Wentz in, I think it was 2019. I think it was 2019. It might be 2018. Was that I think became the first quarterback in NFL history, I believe it was NFL history, to have a four thousand yard throwing season without a single wide receiver getting over five hundred yards, which is astonishing. Um, I use that word a lot, astonishing, because it is like obviously you know the Eagles went to the tight ends a lot, and and what goes under the radar is that Zach Ertz I think had almost like 900 yards, so that sort of goes on the radar. That that sort of manipulates it a bit, but still to have no wide receivers get above 500 yards, that's in, that's incredible, and and I think they'll they'll continue to do that. And you know Marlon Mack was a real talent, and he looked like he was going to be a quality player, and he had that horrible injury, and was it was it week one? Was it literally the first game of the year? Yeah, so it was so. Horrible for him to go down like that, and Taylor came in and did a stellar job. So it'll be interesting to see if they do go dual threat, or if they give it to Taylor and let you know uh, Mac have you know third downs or the occasional snap here and there, or if they do genuinely come at it with a with a dual threat attack.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Quickly touch on the defensive side of the ball and then we'll come and get some sort of players from your perspective, Steve. So apologies if we're going to steal your thunder with a couple of these. Um, but when I said they not necessarily superstars, probably two that probably would classify themselves in that bracket. Josh DeForest Buckner on the defensive line, big trade for him in the last offseason, worked out really well, 26 quarterback hits last year. Um, as well as nine-and-a-half sacks. So he was in the backfield a lot. And Darius Leonard's just been a tackling machine since he entered the league. So they have got a pretty decent defence overall, haven't they, mate?
2: Yeah, it's what, it's one of those that you don't want to face on a week-to-week basis, and that's going to continue for quite a while. Um, I've always been of the school of you, you boost your trenches and then you boost your defence first because defence wins championships. Um, and Indianapolis has one of those where... You know, the names might not sound splashy, but they are a solid defensive unit that gets results every time. And they've done little deals to get themselves better and better players as time has gone on. And now they've got a unit that, you know, you have to have a good, you have to have a really good passing attack to get by them. And you have to have a really good offensive line to get the ground game going. So you have to be at the top of your game. There's no reason why Indianapolis should, uh, should miss the playoffs just off the back of their defense. If they can, if they can have a middle of the line offense, then, you know, the defense could carry, should carry them to a wild card, even with a depleted, um, with a depleted offense. So, you know, if everyone's firing, then all of a sudden you are looking at division winners potentially and going a lot further. But uh, no, great signs for Indianapolis. They've got a great defense. I uh, I have full faith in that. Unfortunately, and uh, unfortunately, as a Browns fan, of course, but uh, all, all the same, I I think that they are primed for success. Their Super Bowl window, Super Bowl window, and Super Bowl bubble doesn't seem quite as big as the Titans. I don't think either that, or they're just waiting to have a you know, that franchise guy that they can depend on on the offence. But it's there. It's it's in the distance. but It's there.
0: Yeah, it certainly is. We'll not mention any more names individually, Steve, in case we do steal your thunder. Let's come to you then to pick some players to look out for and ones on the hot seat. If we have already mentioned them, you can expand on them, my friend. So floor, <laughs> the floor is yours.
1: Yeah, I think obviously the the running back position is really intriguing, and we have just touched on on what they're going to do at running back. I I thought Marlon Mack was a was a quality quality player, and and obviously was just so unlucky to have that injury last season. You know, he was he was coming on leaps and bounds in twenty eighteen. He started uh, ten games, had nine hundred eight yards rushing yards with nine touchdowns in uh, twenty nineteen he started 14 games 1091 yards eight touchdowns so you know he was coming along he was averaging uh, just over 75 yards and then 77 yards per game rushing uh in his in his in um in those two seasons. So he, you know, he's, he's, I think he was really coming along and obviously that injury just cut everything short. So it'd be interesting to see how he comes back from that injury. Um, obviously it was a, it was a season ender week one. Uh, so it was, it was pretty, uh, pretty gruesome. Um, so I'd, I'd say he's one to watch, but alongside Taylor as well. Like, you know, they, they both are, are, they've proven to be uh, a, a dual threat and, and Indianapolis has really got a sort of head scratcher on the, how do they split carries between the two of them and how do they, um, and how do they get both of them into the game? You know, will we see some sets where they've got two men in the backfield? You know, maybe we'll we'll see some sort of um, inventive play from Reich, and maybe we'll see some of that. But be interesting to see how they how they get those um, both into the game. Um, and in terms of on the hot seat, you know, you could look at this from a couple of different perspectives. Like, you know, you mentioned Darius Leonard; he's just been paid in a big, big way—a five-year, ninety-eight point two five million dollar contract extension with fifty-two million guaranteed. Um, His cap number for the next two years is pretty low, but in 2023, it jumps up to £20 million, which is a lot of money for a linebacker. Um, So, you know, you could look at it from that perspective, but obviously he's a quality player, so he was going to get paid. I'd potentially say someone like Xavier Rhodes, you know, he uh, he was picked up uh, as an outcast from um, Minnesota in the 2019 off-season, um, came into this Indianapolis team, you know, d- played better in Indianapolis than he ended his career in, in Minnesota. But I, I don't... He's obviously on the wrong side of 30 now. And if this Colts team is going to go far, they're going have to have to rely on their pass defence at time. And I don't know if he's really the best sort of... Uh, cover corner i think he's more of a zone guy and i don't know if that's gonna fly in 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 ironically <laughs> in indianapolis for, for long enough so i'd say perhaps he might be on the hot seat a little bit and and i think they'll be certainly looking to to expand their cornerback room in 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 the next off season um uh i know they picked up um uh they picked up a couple of pieces in the in the secondary, uh, in the draft. But in, I think in terms of moving forward, they'll certainly be looking to address that. Um, but obviously, the, I know we don't talk about quarterbacks. But just to finish off, it's an obvious, obvious choice that I incredibly think incredibly obvious, pre- a pretty obvious choice that of all thirty-two teams, in the NFL, the biggest hot seat is probably Carson Wentz's. If we're going yeah. to talk about quarterbacks exclusively.
0: Yeah, very, very difficult to disagree. Um, I love Darius Leonard, but I, I'm interested to see what he plays like without Anthony Walker. I know not the chance for me to get the Browns into a podcast, but I do think uh, the Browns getting Anthony Walker for three million and the Colts having to pay ninety three million for Darius Leonard. I think he's rather good business in Cleveland. We'll wait and see. Um but yeah, the Colts are certainly going to be a team that's going to be there or thereabouts again come the end of the season. Lots and lots of focus, like you say, on Carson Wentz. I can't believe we've just done 20 minutes on the Colts and we haven't mentioned Rodrigo Blankenship. The most fashionable kicker in the NFL, and we haven't even given him a mention. All all joking aside, the good ship, Blankenship, was pretty good in his rookie season, so uh, let's hope that continues. Let's move on then, fellas, to the absolute basement of all basements when we talk about divisions. This is going to be a tough half an hour, so let's settle in, boys, because we've got to talk about Houston, 4-12 and 12 last year, and then we're going to talk about Jacksonville, 1-15 and 15 last year um it could be a battle for number one overall pick yet again there's probably a lot more positivity i would suggest in jacksonville than there is in houston at the minute but let's let's stick to them chronologically four and twelve last year um like i say it's hard to believe they actually won four games with all the negativity that is around them at the moment josh would talk us through what's been a pretty um well i'm trying to think of the right word to describe it but would we'll i say pretty um busy off season? not necessarily for good reasons
2: yeah, so I drew the short straw of talking through Houston tonight, because I drew the short straw of writing the, uh, the guide excerpts for the Houston Texans, and yeah, busy is what I would definitely describe their off-season as, of which, be busy but kind of doing nothing at the same time, you know, getting RB4s off the board from plenty of different teams and stuff like that. It was all very baffling and almost a not even a concealed attempt to get worse um, as the days went on. I mean, obviously, the biggest problem for the Texans before the season even ended was J.J. Watts saying... I'm out the door and he, him going off to Arizona. I'm trying my hardest not to say the Sean Watson. And now has come the time where I have to talk about the Sean Watson because uh, he doesn't take a snap for the Texans again, does he? Does he? I mean, he's, he's in camp, so he doesn't get fined. There's, there, there is a price on his head to get traded out there's a there's a court order or two on his head for other reasons but I think that he was the only reason as to why they got wins last year that and the fact that they came against Detroit Jacksonville Jacksonville and New England and that was when New England were on their real downtrend Um, apart from that I, I don't have anything else to say about the Texans really they're just a poor team that's set to get poorer this year and I my heart goes out to them because I know how it feels
1: I I can't remember the last time there was such a unanimous acceptance that there was a team in the NFL that every single person just expects to go or in 16 or in 17 in this case like there is such a wide felt understanding an agreement that the Houston Texans are not going to be a competitive team at all this season. And they are just there to sort of make up the numbers and, you know, be there to, to, you know, to get their game checks. And then, and then that's it. And they'll be, have the number one pick next season. And thank God they actually do, will get it. They haven't traded it away for someone because they haven't had a number one, a first rounder for a while, <laughs> you know, so they're actually going to get it if they do finish bottom of the league. Um, and it's it's difficult to to be positive about this team at all you know it's we've we've joked for a while in these pre- preview pods that when we get to Houston it's going to be difficult to talk about anything and we have to mention Watson like you know if you flick back to his season last year he was the he led the league i believe in passing yards i think we mentioned that uh, a few weeks back which is which is insane considering where they finished um almost 5000 passing yards um 33 touchdowns only seven interceptions in that team um, um, and I remember, I remember watching a clip of, of uh, Deshaun Watson and JJ Watt leaving the field, and JJ Watt was—they you know, they were mic'd up—and JJ Watt was saying to him, "I'm sorry, I'm sorry, we shouldn't be this bad. I'm sorry, we should have won one more games for you, or something along those lines." And you know, I think, I think JJ Watt certainly probably felt that they've just wasted one of the greatest talents that's ever been in Houston, um, and and you know. It, you taking all of his off the field stuff aside he is he is just that he is one of the he's one of the top quarterbacks in the league um and you I agree with you I don't think he plays another snap in Houston I don't know where he ends up but I don't think he plays another snap in Houston and um and I said to uh, I said to you off air just before we came on um you know um do we think Houston are, are the, if you look down their depth chart if you take away Deshaun Watson and maybe you take away like Brandon Cooks and Lamory Tunsell, name me another guy on the depth chart. It's so tough to do because they've signed so many players and so many guys have gone out the door that it feels like they're just there to, to make up numbers. And it's it's so yeah. tough to be this negative, but they are literally that team this year. There's always one every year, but this year it seems worse. It seems somehow that these this Texans team is going to be so, so bad.
2: It's because it seems so blatant. That's the problem. You know, it, it just seems really bad. And this is like three years in the making. You know, this isn't something of which is like, oh, this has come upon us. No, no, we've been waiting for this.
0: It's It seemed a strange decision, didn't it? When, like you say, they waited until the third round in the draft to make the first selection this year after all of the poor management previously with that pick they took. Davis Mills, who might develop into something. But, you know, realistically, I don't think the expectations are high. Davis Mills. Yeah, and that's what I say, that the expectations obviously aren't high. They're not going to be playing him either. You know, they needed somebody to come in who was going to actually contribute straight away, whatever position it was. You know, they needed a contributor. Bringing somebody in as a developmental prospect at the moment was just... Not really the right thing to do. Um, let's concentrate on the players that they have got. We've, you know, we've, like I say, it is difficult to, to find a lot of positives. It's going to be Tyrod Taylor under centre. Um, he's obviously been around for a long, long time now. seems to have had he, – he's probably challenging Ryan Fitzpatrick now, isn't he, for the number of teams he's actually sort of pulled on a jersey for. Um, so, another opportunity for Tyrod Taylor. Running backs, you've got Mark Ingram, Philip Lindsay, David Johnson, who – in their time, have all had reasonable seasons. They're obviously all probably on the back end of the career. Well, certainly Ingram and Johnson are. Philip Lindsay, be interesting to see what he actually does produce. Um, you know, he's, he's been a bit of a timeshare guy in Denver. Um, and obviously, we'll be looking to get more opportunities. Brandon Cooks has obviously been traded for lots and lots of first-round picks. Teams always seem to find some value in him um had a fairly decent season last year, but obviously that was with Deshaun Watson throwing the ball. Um so we'll be interested to see what he can do with, you know, lesser quarterback play. But like you said, defensively it really is difficult to to sort of look at and, and sort of really pick out where the significant contributors are going to come from. Um, you know, we'll go through some of the names that are on this depth chart. Whitney Mercer Whitney has been with Houston for a long time again Wrong age, wrong end of his career. Malik Collins, another old guy. Christian Kirksey, another old guy, injury-prone. Um, Terence Mitchell, you know, has done a reasonable job in Cleveland for the last couple of years. But getting another old guy. It's like I said, that everywhere you look, it's just old veteran guys that have been brought in on one- and two-year deals. Um I'm really looking forward to asking the uh, the question of you, Josh, of what players we should be looking out for and which ones are on the hot seat, or whether it's just a collectively hot bench or sideline that you're going to uh, throw at me.
2: Well, believe it or not, through all the names of which you've mentioned, the one that is to watch it actually has probably one of the most impressive stats of which we've come across during uh, our preview so far. So Zach Cunningham, uh, the linebacker, Had 164 combined tackles last year and is the NFL's leading tackler from last season. Now, that just seems stashed away on the Texans' roster. Um, But I think that, you know, realistically, he's going to have to step up again next season and become the leader of the defense and all the rest of it. And he's definitely got better partners now with uh, Camu Grudger Hill and Christian Kirksey. You know, they're older guys, but they're going to at least be able to pitch in at the linebacker uh, spot and that will help the defense out massively Um, in terms of the hot seat it's got to be David Johnson for me Um, simply because of I mean I'm still baffled by the selection but by by the pickup in terms of what they gave up Um, you know it's he, he's done a fair amount, you know, 691 rushing la- yards last year at four and just over a tick over four and a half yards per carry last year. It's good, but it's not DeAndre Hopkins' level of impact good. And, you know, I don't... H- Houston lost every trade they did last year and the year before. And when you see the stats, it's just not good enough. And also, definitely on the hot seat now that Lindsay and Ingram are both in you know both both all pros um they've both had thousand yard seasons of, of their own accord so all of a sudden is david johnson even all that needed so uh yeah definitely that that seat is definitely warm for him but yeah C- cunningham i thought that was quite a good one to uh to to come across uh, there with the rather amazing figure of 164 combined tackles.
1: They've even got Rex Burkhead in the running back room as well. They do. They've it's got so many running it's backs. It's literally like they've collected just four really old running backs and they're just going to see which one can get them any sort of yards at all. So, yeah, it's a very interesting running back room. But before we move on from Houston, I would just say to both of you, honestly... Do you think they win a game this season?
2: Yes. So I've got them at about three. I've got them at two to three. Yeah, because it's difficult to go 0-16, 0-17, especially with it being 0-17 now.
1: (laughs) As the Jets proved last year, it is difficult.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it. I mean, even Jacksonville. Jacksonville got a game last year, and I'm still... um, completely baffled as to how on earth they did that. So, you know, even the Browns only did it once.
1: (laughs) I mean, you look look down... Go on, Sean, sorry.
0: I was going to say, for me, I think there's so much importance on that first game, isn't there? Jacksonville at home, you know, Trevor Lawrence's debut, we're going to get onto the Jags in a moment, obviously. But that—that's obviously the one that stands out on the schedule, isn't it? Because you do sort of think to yourself, if they lose that one, um, yeah, you know, there's all this negativity at the minute, and it will surely just spiral. I mean, you know, take my Homer hat off, and I still can't see them beating Cleveland the week after. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, you're into, and then. <laughs> Carolina at home you look at Jacksonville and Carolina as the two opening home games you then get one of those early doors in the season if they don't the the run after that is at Buffalo New England at Indy at Arizona the Rams at Miami you know I mean they, they easily could be 0-8 at the bye week and if you are 0-8 it's then the talk starts to turn to 0-17 um, you know there isn't many on the schedule that they're going to be favoured in, certainly at the start of the season anyway. So that that week one game is important, um, you know, in terms of building any sort of momentum. If they, if they lose and they lose handsomely, then it could be a really, really long 17 weeks.
1: I think they've got, there's three games that I'd look to maybe for this. The, the opening one, you said, the return of Jacksonville in week 15 and they play the Jets in week 12. At home, yeah. maybe Carolina. If you want to pull pull hairs, but but those three, those three are the ones. If if they don't win any of those three, I think it's 0 seventeen. I really do. I I cannot remember a time that everyone was so unanimously down on a team as, as much as people are Houston. And this is all assuming that Watson never plays another snap, which I think we can all agree was probably likely. Um, if he's in there, they're a different team, <laughs> and, and you know yeah, they could easily I'm, win I'm sort of five or six or seven. But
2: yeah, I'm still unconvinced that he doesn't take a snap. I, you know, if he gets to week one and he's still on the roster, do you just put him in? Yeah.
0: I, I mean, I, we'll wait and see. I mean, obviously, like I said, we, we don't want to talk about the, the legal stuff without knowing no. what it is and obviously while it's still all working its way through. Um, you know, I've seen different people sort of assume that he may get a six to eight game ban. If he does, that sort of basically takes them up to the bye week. Um, the season may well be long over at that point in terms of them realistically being involved in the postseason. season um, The reality is I don't think anybody's trading for him whilst this legal stuff's ongoing. So for everybody's sake that needs to be resolved. And obviously now more so than for him and, you know, the, the people involved in that. So we'll leave that where it is, fellas. I think, like I say, it's going to be a, uh, a tough slog, certainly for Houston. But uh, the one thing that they have got in their advantage is the fact that... There was a team worse than them in the division last year, um, although there does seem to be slightly more optimism. But as far as that's what some young prospects and the number one overall pick will do for a franchise, let's talk Jacksonville. Um, obviously, like I said, Trevor Lawrence was always pretty much guaranteed to be the number one overall pick, wasn't he? Um, and they didn't disappoint when the uh, draft card went in. So, Steve, talk us through Jacksonville 2021 offseason.
1: Yeah, Jacksonville obviously have, have have picked up one of the biggest talents uh, to come out of college football in the last sort of five years. He's you know he's been I feel like he's been playing in co- he was playing in college for about eight years. You know, Trevor Lawrence has always seemed to have been there, and he's finally gone into the NFL. So it's going to be really interesting to watch his career sort of unfold in Jacksonville. Um, they've been that team for the longest time that have been there or thereabouts at the basement. But funnily enough, that was the f- last year was the first year they've had the first pick. It's the first time they've ever had the first overall pick. um. So they've always been there or thereabouts, but they've never had the first overall pick. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how, and, and what are you to get it? <laughs> they managed to pick up Trevor Lawrence. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how that uh, turns out. I think that I, I feel like Jacksonville's roster is, is like, I'm not going to say it's like world beating, and I, I still don't think they're going to have a winning season, but it's quietly quite good. And is getting there. Like you look at their offensive weapons, you know they've they picked up Travis Etienne in the in the draft as well, so they've they've reunited Trevor Lawrence with his Clemson partner. Um, but they also had James Robinson, who was an undrafted free agent who who did really well uh, as running back. Um, you know their receivers, they've got some good talent at receiver: DJ Shark, Marvin Jones, uh, LaVisca Chenault looks to step on as well. Um, you know I think they've, uh, their 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 um, defense is 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 not dreadful for a team that had the number one pick overall last year obviously you got to take all of this in in context and obviously with a bit of a pinch of salt I'm not suggesting that they're you know like comparative to to you know some of the best defenses in the league but I'm, not, I'm saying that they're also not not dreadful um, uh, you know Josh Allen as a, a sort of edge rusher you know looks to be a, looks to be a good ch- talent pairing with Jason out of LSU last year you know they, they've got they're building a bit of a decent sort of edge rush um you know there's a lot of talk about um, uh, they picked up uh, C.J. Henderson, the the cornerback, last year in the draft, and he looked like a real quality player. But there's already talk about him being traded away. And what I find really interesting about Jacksonville, they always seem to do this: is they're not scared of trading away players that just don't want to be there. You know, they they mm. they traded away Jalen Ramsey and picked up a, a you know a King's ransom for him, and, and that's obviously paid its dividends. And it, you know, it's it's. Um, it's, you know, they've managed to pick up some picks for him, but surely eventually you've got to start holding onto your players. And I hope now that they've got Trevor Lawrence, I think Trevor, if he can have a a good sort of debut season, I think he will attract players himself because he's, because he's good and he's good enough for the longest time. Jacksonville's been, been a team that are not, you know, they're not like a, a sort of a household franchise name. They're so relatively new in the terms of the NFL that, you you question whether or not players actually want to go and sign long-term deals there because it's Jacksonville and they're never going to challenge for anything. But then I remember a season in 2017 when they went to the AFC championship game and probably should have gone to the Super Bowl. You know, they were, they were a good team that year and we're not far, we're not far removed from that. So I think they're building back up again and it's going to be really interesting to watch Trevor Lawrence in his, in his opening season. Um, And I think this, this roster is, is quietly quite good.
2: Yeah, something of which I just uh, which I just flag up as well for those that are looking at, you know, how many wins could they rack up this year? Because I, I think that we're all agreed that they are still, you know, in like the bottom four or five teams in terms of, you know, like power rankings and all the rest of it. They're definitely still down there, but um, there's... St- you know, there's quite a few winnable games there, considering their current talent talent level. And if Trevor Lawrence is the real deal, you know, you got Houston away on the first game of the season, uh, Cincinnati away on the fourth game, and then you've also got games such as, um, you know, the Falcons. I'd definitely throw them in there as uh, ones to watch. Houston, obviously, on the return. The Jets away. So, you know, there's there's five to six there that, you know, could easily go their way. I'm just I'm more concerned about the defense than I am about the offense. I think offensively they've got some weapons now. And obviously if Trevor does get cooking, especially towards the mid mid middle part of the uh season, that's when you usually see the rookies really starting to go off. Um, you know, then you should see those stats rising, But the defence still gave up a good 31 points last season. I don't see a lot of improvement on the defensive side of the ball. So I think that even if the offence bumps that up to sort of like middle average sort of stats, you're still looking at losing by a score a game. So it's it's trending in the right direction. It's just come a year too soon to really... Get excited about them this year, but it's definitely food for thought for the future. Yeah,
0: I mean, I actually think from a defensive point of view, I think that they have made some improvements. You said that you didn't feel it had improved. I think the, the sort of pickups of Shaquille Griffin, um, Rashawn Jenkins, um, you know, in terms of players that they brought in through free agency, are very, very good additions, particularly Shaq Griffin, really like that as a pickup. And they obviously spent yeah, like in some. It. Yeah, it's been yeah, some draft capital as well. Tyson Campbell, Andre Cisco, um, you yeah, know. So we'll wait and see what happens. I think we haven't even mentioned the fact that it's a brand new coaching staff as well. Um, Herb, Herb Meyer, obviously highly decorated from a college perspective, um, you yeah, know. So be interesting to see what happens there. Obviously, you know, health issues and all of that kind of stuff to keep an eye on potentially. Obviously, fingers crossed that nothing like that does uh, become anything that uh, causes issues Um, but obviously interesting to see how he goes in the NFL you mentioned Travis Etienne Steve when uh, you were sort of going through the transformation over the offseason I've got to say that was one pick in the draft I really hated really hated that pick um for me, I just thought it was an area of strength that didn't really need looking you know, at. I thought James Robinson was excellent last year. Um, I know that obviously undrafted rookies have had good seasons and then disappeared. I get that. But, you know, I think he should have been given the opportunity. They brought in Carlos Hyde as a serviceable um, running back option. Um, you know, Carlos Hyde's not going to sell any tickets, but he's going to still plod away for three and a half to four yards a carry. You know, worst case scenario. Um so I didn't really like that pick personally, although obviously I you know, understand, obviously, reuniting Trevor Lawrence with a, a college teammate. Um, yeah, but for me, they they have quietly made some improvements. Um, bit of a shock last week, seeing Joe but being traded away. They spent a lot of money on him um, the previous off-season, but as Josh said, they gave up 31 points a game, so it wasn't his. if ex- he'd come in and sort of really solidified the defense. So I don't think he'll be hugely missed. Um and probably just sort of pays into that narrative of they're not afraid to admit the mistakes and move on. So potentially a short leash for a few of these players, mate. So I'll let you come back on what I've said there, and then you can sort of lead straight into players that you've got your eye on and uh, players on the hot seat as well.
1: Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I, 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 I'm you, I mean, I've made my feelings pretty clear on running backs and, and where teams should value them, especially with draft capital capital or, 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 contracts, that sort of thing. I mean, Etienne went the pick after Najee Harris went um, um, to the Steelers. And I I just don't... I get that, that, you know, the Steelers had a running back need. But like like you said, the Jaguars really didn't. And you do wonder how much influence... Lawrence may have had on that, and maybe did, did he want someone familiar in the building, did he want someone reliable, I don't know, but I just don't, it's, it feels like you can pick up running backs anywhere in the draft, and so many, like James Robinson, like an actual Jacksonville player as shown, you don't have to spend a first round pick on a running back for them to be impactful, and James Robinson was an undrafted free agent, and, and looked really, really good last season, so yeah, it's a shame really, because I would like to have seen more of Robinson, but I think Etienne's going to be the, the bell cow now, and I think he's going to sort of take most of the snap um uh uh, from from him um but no i agree i I think that this jacksonville team is i certainly don't think they're a a 1 and 15 or 1 and 16 team next year uh, this year sorry um they've they've improved in certain areas and i think there's a lot to be sort of looking forward to and i think if you're looking at a player to watch um i'd i'd say Levisca chennault the the wide receiver that they picked uh last year out out of colorado um I think he was a he was a really interesting pickup, and there was a lot of wide receivers taken last year like a lot um, and it made and, you know those a few of them flat to deceive after uh, sort of Justin Jefferson season in, in Minnesota. Um, but Chanel had like a quietly good season for, for someone who was in a one and 15 team. Let's just put that in context. You know, he had, um, he, he played in 14 games, started 12, played in 14, um, 600 yards, uh, five touchdowns, um, a catch percentage of 73.4%. So pretty good catch percentage. Um uh, you know, he just looked like a good player. He looks like a, a sort of a, a solid uh, wide receiver to add to that room. Um, you know, they've already got DJ Shark, who's from out of LSU from several years ago, who seems to be an, an accomplished uh, receiver. And they've got Marvin Jones Jr. as well. So, you know, they've got a, a pretty experienced sort of wide receiver room. And if you add a talent like that to it, you know, plug in Trevor Lawrence and hopefully they can get some real production out of, out of those guys. Yeah. Um, in Terms of on the hot seat, uh, it's it's a bit of a difficult. Again, we've you know we've had this sort of uh, discussion about several teams where when they're going through like a a bit of a rebuild, um, you know it's it's difficult to sort of put someone on the hot seat because expectations are so low. You know you could certainly say someone like Miles Jack. Um, he's been in the been in the building for a long time. He's been a, he's a bit of a leader on that defense. His cap number for this year uh, is twelve point one million dollars, which is the third highest um uh in the Jacksonville team for this year um which is which is quite a lot but if you look at the guys above him you've got Andrew Norwell and Cam Robinson of 15 and 13.7 million each respectively so you could certainly point to one of those guys uh on the on the offensive line left tackle and left guard respectively you know I, I know that you Sean you're not not too much of a fan of of Cam Robinson and and you know in terms of that uh, that's a lot of money for for, for a guy of, of, of his calibre. Um, so you could certainly point to those two as well if you wanted to look to somewhere else that that you know guys that have really got to start performing to justify their price tag. I know we had this discussion a couple uh, last week with with um, Fletcher Cox, and sometimes it's not necessarily about their production in a in a in a sort of um, on its own. Uh, sometimes you have to look at their production compared to their contract, and actually, is their production justifying how much money they're actually being paid?
0: Yeah, don't don't disagree at all. I think we have, what I said when Cam Robinson signed that contract for me, he was he was a candidate to be overpaid, and I think he's been massively overpaid. Um, which isn't a surprise. That's what happens, unfortunately, with rebuilding teams. And you know, like Josh alluded to earlier, you know, we've been through it several times now. That unfortunately, you have to overpay for your free agents to attract them, and you have to overpay to keep you know your your sort of talent that you have got. Yeah. In the building, you know, he's a, he's, a, he's a decent enough left tackle. You know, he's, he's certainly not a swinging door that's over there and he's going to let your quarterback get murdered week in and week out. But, uh, you yeah, know, like I say, he's certainly not, for me, um, you know, one of the premium players at that position anyway, that's for sure. Josh, you're nodding, a, nodding along. you in agreement there with uh, my assessment of Cam Robbins?
2: I was more nodding along in terms of uh, the strategy for keeping teams in failing franchises, um, because realistically, yeah, that is pretty much the goal. You got to try and keep hold of your talent while you've got it, and then after you've got a solid core, you go for your uh, you go for your bargains and try and let your drafts speak for you. I think that's pretty much how the successful ones come about. And then you start weeding out the expensive players and bringing them back round. So yeah, the uh, the rebuild's going to take quite a while, I think, to fully to fully manifest. And you you are going to keep hearing stories like this for quite a while in Jacksonville until it eventually sorts itself out. Um, but most teams go through it, so there th- there shouldn't really be an issue on that front.
0: Yeah. Before we uh, close up the conversation and put our predictions on the division, I am just going to correct myself. Cam Robinson yet to actually sign a new deal, but he's signed his franchise tag tender. So to be fair to the Jags, I've criticised them there, and actually they've probably done a smart move. So (laughs) there you go. I don't mind admitting when I'm wrong, but yeah, he's signed his uh, franchise tag tender, $13.7 million. They've obviously also picked up a tackle in the draft. So there's obviously competition there for that place as well. So um, we will wait and see. But I mean, still a large number, but he's only on the franchise tag. Steve, finish us off on our Jacksonville conversation.
1: What I would just say as well is be interesting to see your thoughts is they're obviously in a big rebuild. They have the highest cap space in the league this year. They've got $35.5 million of free space. They're obviously not spending much money at the moment. I'm sure that's going to change in the seasons to come. I think it was interesting that they they selected Urban Meyer as their head coach. Like, is that a do you think that's a bit of a a risk given that obviously he's an accomplished college coach i don't think anyone's denying that but college in the nfl is a very different beast and several coaches nick saban chip kelly have proven that it's really difficult to come over to the nfl and and succeed you know guys like maybe pete carroll have obviously booked the trend but it's it can be quite difficult to to to, um to succeed in the nfl do you do you think they it's a risky pick or do you think he'll do well
0: Uh, I I do think it's risky. Um, Like I say, I mean, there's the the health issues off the field as well, which like I alluded to earlier, hopefully that doesn't play into it. Assuming that the health and everything holds up. Like you say, his college record's fantastic. Um, Whether it does translate, I think he wanted a situation with... A little bit more, sort of, say if you like, in the how the roster was constructed, and obviously, with the amount of capital that they were going to be spending, he has been able to to get his hands on a lot of young talent, which hopefully he can sort of bring in and he can nurture. Um, I hope it works out. You know, I I would, you know, I'd, I'd hope from from a Jacksonville perspective that it does work out. Like I say, his pedigree, I don't think, can be denied. Um, he's, it's been a couple of years since he's been, obviously in the college game as well. He's had a couple of years out, um, you know. So I think he feels that he's refreshed and ready to go. Um, I, I just think it was it was going to be that opportunity or none other, wasn't it? Because he knew that he was going to get Trevor Lawrence with that opportunity, um, and I think for anybody that that sort of wanted to chance their arm, it was obviously the ideal opportunity, and I think he also has a pretty decent relationship with ownership there as well, doesn't he? From my sort of limited understanding of that, I think he's, uh, I think he's quite well in in terms of with the owners as well.
2: Yeah. By the, looks, yeah by the looks of it, he definitely does. Um, it's, I reckon that Jacksonville have just taken the punt and thought, well, if it works, then it will go like gangbusters in a few years time. Urban Meyer's got so much, uh, so much experience in building programs and that's what Jacksonville need. They need to build a program and they need a five-year plan, not a one-year plan. They need to be able to churn over talent they, they need to be really on it in drafts for the next few years. You know, you've got one of, one of the greatest to ever do it in a college level coaching wise to, uh, to oversee your draft potential drawing what will be the biggest holes that the Jags will have draft-wise for quite a long time so you might as well you might as well capitalise
1: and I, and I guess as well they, they don't want to be in a situation like they were in 2017 where they go to the AFC Championship game and that's it and that they're on a yeah. downward trend straight away they, you know, they don't want to they don't want Urban Meyer and Trevor Lawrence's um, legacy in Jacksonville to be they went to the I don't know the twenty twenty three AFC Championship game, and then they never did anything ever again. Like you say, he's he's come from a college background. You'd like to think that he's pretty good at spotting college talent. He's done it for long enough as a college head coach, so you know he would have been recruiting at Ohio State and Florida. So you, yeah, I I I think it's an interesting way to look at it that they want they want to create a uh, a, a program. You know, almost like a college sense, like a programme, rather than just have some guy come in and and try and get them to a Super Bowl in the next five years and that's it. You know, they want to have a plan in place.
0: Yeah, and, uh, you know, he's only, I'll say only 57. Age is only a number. And at 57, he's certainly got... uh a five-year plan in him. Uh, so, yeah, good luck to Herb Meyer and to Jacksonville. Um, if he can repeat an 83-9 and record in his five years as Jacksonville coach, they'll take that, wouldn't they? That was his Ohio State record. I think Just everybody would take that. Everybody <laughs> would take that. Right then, fellas, that's wrapped up yet another division. So let's get predictions on where they're finishing. I think uh, this could be fairly unanimous. Potentially, it might be the odd change at the top, but I certainly think it's going to be fairly unanimous. So, Josh, let's come to you first. How are they finishing up?
2: Yeah, so mine's going to seem a little low on the winning total side uh, at the top. I've got Tennessee at 10 wins, um, but winning the division. Uh, Indianapolis at nine, but that could yet be skewed by the fact that Wentz is coming back in earlier. So that could bolster that up as well. Um, then I've got Houston and Jacksonville both floating at about three to three and a half. Uh, probably giving it more to Jacksonville than Houston, but a lot will depend on their head-to-heads. Uh, so a massive discrepancy in the middle. Um, Tennessee and Indianapolis definitely to be the top two, but I think that win totals will be a lot lower in the AFC South next year. Interesting.
1: Steve? yeah i think i'd go for the same order i think tennessee win the afc south again i'd put them around the same 11 may, maybe 12 wins but i think their defense is weakened so they might you know go down rather than up and maybe 10 i i, I, I sort of agree with you josh that i think the trend is that that there will be less wins in in the division and i think this could be a You know, we we talked, I remember uh, a a few months ago when we were podcasting before the sort of off-season break, we asked if there was ever a division that would be worse than the NFC East for win totals in terms of all the teams combined. This is a contender potentially. Um, because, Very much so. Because Houston and Te- and Jacksonville between the two of them are not going to win many games. You know, maybe four, five, six, maybe between the two of them, uh, and that's weird for two teams. Um, I think Indianapolis will will win. Oof, they'll be around the five hundred. I'm I, after watching him last year. I'm not convinced that he can come back and be lights out again. Um, I don't know if Wentz will get back to that, and I think he's still a serviceable quarterback, sure, but I don't think he'll go back to his twenty seventeen self. So I think uh, uh, ten- uh, Indianapolis will will sort of hobble over the line to sort of five hundred ish. I think Jacksonville will certainly improve. I think they've, they're they're getting there, and I think they will you know for a rebuilding team something something on the lines of sort of four or five six wins, something around that sort of level. Um, and uh, I don't know if I want to say it or not, but I don't think Houston wins a game Oof. I don't I just don't I don't if if Watson's not there I don't see where it comes from I just don't where where does that win come from I just don't see it myself I think every team they play will have enough to beat them the, if they're gonna beat someone it'll be the Jets I think um but even then I just don't see it um so there I there I'm pointing it down I, there it is chips are in Houston are going on seventeen.
2: Wow. Well, it turns out as well that if that that ends up the way you say that the division is below three hundred somehow. So uh yeah. yeah, that that definitely would be worse.
0: Yeah, well, I'm not going to improve the average much with my predictions. I won't go into win totals for all of them, but I'm going to say the order stays as it was at the top. Tennessee take the division. I'll just trust that offense more than I can trust Indy's offense, um, although I trust Indy's defense more. But I do think Tennessee has enough to take the division again. Indianapolis comfortably in second, probably wild card. Um, we'll wait and see. Uh, I I think Jacksonville get more wins than Houston, and I do think Houston finish bottom. I I also think Houston get the number one overall pick, and I think if they don't win week one, I agree with Steve. I don't think they'll win at all, so we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. That's two of us on the 0-17 bandwagon. Uh, We've we've made some friends tonight, Steve.
1: There's no breaks on this hype (laughs) train.
0: If you are a fan of any of the teams and you haven't done so yet, go and grab yourself one of the few remaining copies of the full 10 yards 2021 season guide. There are a couple of physicals left, or there is at the time of recording. They may have all gone by the time you're listening, though. And if that is the case, grab yourself a digital one. Instead, um, use the code yards after you've put it in your cart. You'll get a quid off and it'll just be three ninety nine. 400-plus pages of excellent content to get you ready for the big kickoff, which is only now a couple of weeks away. Um, Been great fun again, fellas. Hopefully all being well and assuming that there's no changes to the good old UK traffic travel light system. I will be off next week, so the boys will take you through the West. Looking forward to listening to those while I'm on my sunbed in Fort Aventura. So I'll be leaving you in the capable hands of Steve and Josh. Been a pleasure this week. Been great to get back behind the mic and talk some more football. Keep it tuned to All Things Full 10 Yards. We will see you all very, very soon.
1: Thanks for listening to the podcast. Don't forget to find us on all our social channels, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok and YouTube. Head over to our website, full10yards.com, where you can find out more information about why we are. Hashtag for the game.